Hi everyone, it's Andrew Duncan here and I'm joined today by Lindsay Smith, Senior Legal Executive from Randy Collins. Hi Lindsay. Hi. So today we are catching up to talk about making unconditional offers. In a hot market, it's a it's a really um, common situation where a buyer will feel like to be competitive they need to make an unconditional offer. No, no, first up, we should just explain what that means. Lindsay, would you mind touching on what how you describe an unconditional offer? Sure. So when you make an unconditional offer, you're saying that you are buying the property and as it is and that you are happy that you have undertaken all of the due diligence that you need to on the property. Whereas a conditional offer is uh, where you say that you want to buy the property, but it's subject to you carrying out a number of checks and balances still uh, to make sure that you're happy with the property. Perfect. So often people start off uh, in their buying journey and they will make offers that are conditional and by that they might be subject to finance or getting their own builders report or getting their own limb report, um, which is smart. Uh, but over time, once people miss out two, three, four times, uh, they start to make a bit more effort with their offers, especially in a hot market, and start looking for ways to make their offers more attractive. Uh, and so more and more we meet with people who are uh, offering unconditionally. Uh, and so Today we're going to talk through what you need to know, the boxes you kind of need to tick before you make an unconditional offer to make sure that you don't get caught out later on. Uh, Lindsay's here to talk us through that. Um, before we go too far, I've jumped ahead a little bit. Lindsay, would you mind introducing Randy Collins and yourself and, and, and uh, what you guys do here? Sure. So Randy Collins is a law firm that's in Wellington on the terrace. Uh, we have been around for over a hundred years now, so a bit of history to go alongside with the firm. Uh, personally, I've been a legal executive for over 15 years, so I have uh, just about seen it all through acting for first home buyers, developers, uh, implementing treaty settlements, that kind of thing. Fantastic. Perfect person to have talking about this today. So let's say I'm a I buyer, I found a property that I really like, the tender closes two weeks time, I'm sitting down to uh, chat to you about it. Uh, where would I start? I think you have started off at a good point by saying that you have two weeks until tenders close. It may seem like a long time, but it's really not. Uh, and once we run through today all the things that you have to do within that two-week period, I think uh, that should be a bit more clear. So generally, you would expect that your real estate agent will uh, provide you with some documents. So once you've uh, said that you are interested in the property, the agent is usually pretty quick to give these to you. So what you'd usually see is that the agent will give you a copy of the agreement for sale and purchase, sometimes a limb report, sometimes a title, and sometimes a builder's report. And these are usually reports that are paid for by the seller, by the for the seller. seller. Yes, that's right. So the first thing we'll talk about is the title. So while the agent might give you a copy of the title, it would usually just be a one-page document that says how big the land area is, uh, who the vendor is and any interest that might be noted on the title. But it doesn't actually tell you about those interests or how those interests will affect you uh, as the owner of the property. Each of those interests and easements 
will usually be their own separate document which uh, a legal executive will go and look up for you and actually explore and that's right. So I think one one common example that I use all the time is that there might be a land covenant on the title that restricts the way in which you can use the land. Uh, so it might be that you're not allowed to mow your lawns on a Sunday. It might be that the fences have to be of certain materials. It might be that you can't subdivide. Uh, it may have restrictions on the colour of the house uh, that you can paint and things like that. Materials you can use. All of those things. Uh, it could also show that you don't have legal access to the property, which was is one of the more tricky ones that we've come across. And it wasn't that obvious from the start. It's only once you kind of dive a bit deeper in the, into the title that you find out some of these things. It's interesting with titles because they look like such a simple document, but there's and so much to those individual bits of wording. So. It could be that there are no restrictions or easements, or it could be that, that we run onto the second page of a title sometimes with some of the more recent subdivisions. Particularly important to check when it's a cross-lease title, which is really common in a lot of parts of Wellington, where you've got to actually look at the memorandum of lease and check that out as well. That's right. I think that's a separate podcast, Andrew. Cool. <laughs> <Sounds> <laughs> All right, next up after the title. So the next would be the builder's report. So a vendor may supply you with a copy of the builder's report uh, that has been addressed to the vendor and it was paid for by the vendor. A lot of buyers feel quite comfortable relying on this report. Uh, if you decide to do this, you just need to know that you don't have any contract with the builder yourself. So if the builder has made a mistake or has missed something, uh, you have no enforceable right against that builder. So sometimes you can talk to the builder and for a payment of a small fee, have the report addressed to you so that can cover off uh, some of that risk. The other thing is you don't necessarily know what the builder has been asked to do. They might only be looking at a specific part of the property rather than doing a full inspection. So you should make sure that you read the introduction too to make sure you know what's been covered off. And also to check the date on it too, just to see when when it was issued, whether it's recently or whether it was a couple of years ago. Very good point. Uh, the builder is liable to the person whose name the report is addressed to. Uh, and, and one that buyers often don't know is exactly what you said, that you can often call the builder and see if what the cost will be to have that report put into your name as well. So you've got a little bit of protection potentially moving forward as well. Uh, but it always pays to get your own one done as well. So the more time you've got, before you offer, the more time you've got to arrange your own one. It like does. To. It's all about balancing that risk and cost ratio, really. So we would always recommend that you do get your own builder's report, uh, but it's not always feasible given a short time frame. And you know, we have talked a little bit earlier about people putting a number of offers on, and it does get costly. So we can understand that sometimes you want to minimise some of your costs. Absolutely. At least with. When there's a builder's report that's reasonably clean, that's available from the the agent and the seller, uh, it can be comforting to know that if you spend the money to get your own report, it's likely that it should hopefully be okay. You know, it can be frustrating when there's no builder's report and you go and spend money and find it. There's a whole bucket of stuff wrong with the place. Uh, that can be certainly frustrating, but at least having an initial uh, report to go off can be helpful in that regard. A good first step. Yeah, a good first step indeed. Next up on your list. A vendor will also often supply a limb report. So a limb report 
does take 10 working days usually for the council to issue this report. Sometimes you can get an urgent limb report within a few days, but uh, that does depend on council turnaround times and the property as well. So the limb report is a document issued by council which shows all of the consents that have issued in respect of the property and also any other information that the council might have um, about the property. It, it is good to have a lawyer or legal executive look over the limb report for you. It's not always entirely clear, a bit like the title, what should be there or what's not there, unless you're really familiar with these documents, can be a bit tricky. Uh, one thing that is not in a limb report all the time is a copy of the floor plan. So it's quite hard to have a look and see whether there have been any alterations or additions to a property that should have had council consent if you don't have the floor plan to start with. It's hard with limbs as well because it's often more about what they what's missing from a limb or what should be in there that's not rather than what is there that the council can only give you information on what they what they that's know about. Right. Are there any outstanding consents? Uh, has a wall been removed without uh, council consent being obtained? That, that sort of thing. Big ones are your outstanding consents, uh, looking for any history of weather tightness issues. Uh, drainage issues are one that come up all the time, which you can, uh, is an area that's really worth checking. But it's, it's, there's often 80, 90, 100 pages to these reports, so it really pays to have someone look it over, look over it for you, I should say. You can also do a uh, council archive search. That's one thing I should mention. If you, if you look at the limb and feel like it doesn't have enough information, you can contact Wellington City Council Archives. Again, having a bit of time up your sleeve can be really useful to get some more info. Wellington City Council have just implemented an online system to make it a bit easier to search their archives. Uh, system is new and a bit slow at this stage and a bit difficult to find things, uh, but it is a step in, in being able to obtain further information without waiting that three or four working day period, which is usually how long it takes to request from Council Archives otherwise. Good to know. So it, a bit like the limb, uh, sorry, a bit like the builder's report. If the limb report has been issued uh, and paid for by the vendor, you have no recourse or any right to sue the council later if they've got something wrong. So while it may seem like a small risk, uh, it has happened before, and there is a court case that goes right to the court of appeal to say. Um, that the council is not liable to anybody other than the person that has had the report issued to them. I have come across situations in my career where the council have just left parts out of a limb by mistake. Um, I've also seen situations where people have scanned a, a, a printed copy of a limb and, and missed certain pages. So one thing to look out for is, is it the original PDF from the council that they've emailed across rather than a, a, you know, a hard copy that's been scanned? Because if it's a hard copy that's been scanned, you just, you'd have to be extra careful to make sure that nothing's been... Check all the page numbers. Check all the page numbers. They don't number the pages that carefully. They kind of jump around all over the place, so it would be pretty easy to miss a page and not be that sure about Especially it. Especially there's 80, 90, 100 plus pages on some of these ones. Yeah. Perfect. What, would, what should I look at next? So the next would be making sure that you have your finance in place. So this is not just a pre-approval, which so I important. think... Yeah, I think purchasers sometimes, especially at the beginning of that house buying process, think that a pre-approval is an offer of finance. Uh, a pre-approval is a good first step, but you do need an unconditional offer of finance in writing without any 
terms or conditions uh, on there. And that'll be specific to the house that you're trying to buy. That's right. It will say that you can borrow X amount to buy X property. Uh, so that is the bank saying that they are they are happy with the security on that particular property. But it will always be subject to the bank being able to pull the pin if you can't get insurance uh, or if they find out something about the property that you haven't disclosed. So if you do find something in the LIM report or the builder's report or the title, you do have an obligation to disclose it to your mortgage provider. So you do need to make sure that you get all of these things ticked off um, in time so that if anything does come up, you've got time to talk to your bank about it. Fine. Speaking to buyers, one of the biggest hassles they have trying to make an unconditional offer is actually getting that insurance, getting confirmation that they uh, that they can have insurance on the property, so that then they can get their finance insurance approved. Is, insurance is much harder to get now than it used to be. Once upon a time, you'd have clients would call their insurance company the day before settlement and, and put your insurance in place, and away you would go. It uh, doesn't quite work like that anymore. There are insurance companies that won't offer insurance to any new properties in Wellington uh, and they do usually have a whole range of questions now that they want to ask before they're happy to offer insurance. There's also, there's no, uh, even if the house is currently insured, what the insurance companies will say is, no, we need to check the person who's buying the house and not just the house. It's not just we can't just insure the house for any buyer. They need to know that you are a suitable person to provide insurance to. Both uh, of those things. And just because the property has insurance now, it doesn't mean that the insurance provider is going to be happy to offer insurance to the next person, uh, even if they are with the same company. So some things that the insurance company might ask, especially if the house was built kind of in the 1920s or 30s, is whether... Uh, there is any scrim on the property to make sure that that's being replaced with jib. Scrim is a type of wall covering for anyone who doesn't hasn't heard that word before, which they used a very long time ago, uh, which is um, a bit more of a fire hazard than... Uh, that's right. Uh, they'll also ask questions about when the piles were replaced and when the roof was replaced and when the wiring has been replaced. And they're all questions that you probably won't know the answer to straight away, so you do need to have some time to talk to the agent and get some information about that uh, if you need to or to get your builder to check these things out for you. So the key message there is just give yourself a bit of time to get these questions answered and if in doubt, we'll talk about this possibly in the next, next podcast, but, but put conditions in to cover yourself for these. That's right. And with the insurance, we always would prefer that you have written offer of insurance in place rather than your insurance company just saying yeah sure we'll give you insurance over the phone so we do recommend that you go that one step further to have insurance in place it seems a bit odd given that you've not necessarily bought the property or had your offer accepted but it's really the only way to make sure that you're covered so much rides on that so important along with insurance the the other points to ask about is EQC claims as well, I imagine. That's right. So when you before you make your offer, you should always ask the agent whether, whether there have been any insurance or EQC claims in respect of the property. Uh, if there have been, it's good to know what they are, but also we'd recommend that we have a condition in the contract to have any rights uh, or benefit of the claim assigned to you. So even though the claim might be finalised and finished, and you don't know what's going to come up in respect of that claim later. So it might it might be that the work have, hasn't been carried out 
uh, to the standard that it should have been and without having that claim assigned to you, you wouldn't have any right or recourse to, to have that work redone. It's not super uncommon. Yeah, I've come across quite a few properties where there have been small EQC claims in the past. So um, if you're a seller working with something like that, don't be too you know, worried about having that as part of your your property that you need to disclose. It's, it's just part of the process. And for buyers, just get the information, have a look over it and get some advice if you need to. It's usually not the end of the world by any means. That's right. Uh, so the next thing is having someone look over the agreement for sale and purchase with you. Yes. Uh, it is a long document that has lots of fish hooks in it. And uh, I'm sure that you won't sit and read the agreement word for word. Uh, but I can assure you that uh, I have. So we can talk you through that uh, and also particularly uh, talk through any disclosures or additional information that the agent or the vendor has told you about the property so that we can advise you on what the implications of those things would be. For example, if it does have an unconsented shed, what are the implications of that and what do you need to do to fix it if, if you need to? The key things there, you're looking for anything uh, in the document that the vendor or their advisors have, have crossed out, uh, anything added to the document like you're talking about, any disclosures that they're adding on a, on a separate page as well. Uh, Carefully checking the chattels that have been listed in the agreement, checking that they've been recorded in the right place. Absolutely. All right, and body corporates we should probably touch on as well if you are buying an apartment or any sort of unit title type property. That's right. So with a body corporate uh, purchase, we would recommend that you get a copy of three to five years of AGM minutes so that you can read through and get a real feel for the development. Generally any issues you would expect to have come up at an AGM so that's a good place to start. Uh, you should be checking to make sure that there is a long-term maintenance plan in place, getting a copy of the financial statements so that you can make sure that the body corporate has enough money to pay for the things that are in the long-term maintenance plan. And you should also receive a pre-contract disclosure statement as well that sets out what the current levies are and things like that. Perfect. That's a very quick cover off of purchasing a body corporate property but it does take quite a lot of time to wade through all of those documents so do give yourself a lot of time to factor that in. Absolutely. All these things we're talking about come under that umbrella of due diligence and, and if you're new to this process of buying a house you may not have even heard uh, the words due diligence before but just so you know that's that's exactly what we're, um, this is what we're meaning when we, when we use that term. I think the last thing, Andrew, is just to make sure that you can actually buy the property legally. So New Zealand does now have some restrictions on who can buy. So if you're a New Zealand, Australian or Singaporean citizen, then you're okay. But if you hold a New Zealand resident visa, you do just need to make sure that you meet the additional criteria. So things like residing in New Zealand for at least a year, uh, having been in the country for the last sorry been in the country for 183 days of the last year so just double check those things off it's not necessarily a given that you will be able to buy a property what's the ideal amount of time for you so say i find a house that i am interested in when would you like people to to get in touch with you immediately uh i think that having at least a week 
means that you do have some time to go through any issues that might crop up. And actually go back and ask questions of the... Ask questions from the agent uh, and then disclose anything to your bank that may have come up. Because you find something throughout your due diligence investigation, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't want to buy the property. You might still really love the property, but you do need to disclose those things uh, and also give yourself time to consider the implications and make sure that you do still want to buy it. Uh, so you don't want to be in a situation where you can't make an unconditional offer if you really love the property without having the time to tick these things off. Just so important to have a sounding board as well. There's so much pressure out there in a, in a busy market to, you know, to not miss out again and to get that house that you really like. So uh, if you're getting some advice from someone like Lindsay, it just gives you that sounding board and that reassurance that uh, that you're on the right track. Um, but and also just someone to... someone else's problem. you're not buying someone else's problem. <laughs> and also someone to just... just uh, keep you accountable that you need to be mindful of these things and you need to get them checked out before you go ahead. Anything else you'd like to add before we close off for today? No, I think we've co- I think we've covered it off quite well. Awesome, that's fantastic information. And uh, I'll put a link to Lindsay's article on how to make an unconditional offer in the show notes, everyone, so you'll be able to get a list of all those points there. Uh, and Lindsay, how can people get in touch with you if they want to chat to you further and get some more help? So if you put the link to the article up, all of my details uh, can be obtained via our website. Perfect. Otherwise, I'm alismith at rainycollins.co.nz. Awesome. I hope that was helpful, everybody. Thank you for listening in and uh, wishing you the best of luck out there when you're making offers and uh, all the best for your real estate journey. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.